Hey guys, good morning. My name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard. Really good to see you this morning. It's like a heat wave outside. It's like 32. I thought about taking my shirt off. (laughs) Apparently though, a cry went up from the people. (laughs) Please, you beautiful man. Um, yeah, apparently though, tomorrow the, the poles are going to be vortexing again. So we just go from one polar vortex to another. I've I've never even heard that till this year. Have you ever heard of that? I think weather guys just fabricate things. It's my, it's my goal this morning is to offend all weathermen. (laughs) wherever they're at if you're here awesome hey open up your bibles to john chapter 15 we're going to continue some thoughts we started a couple weeks ago um actually some thoughts i started two weeks ago we've sort of had one little sunday off there with the conference we had last weekend Uh, we're going to talk about living a fruitful life this is the third message in this um sort of informal series and we've been talking about living a fruitful life for a couple reasons. Uh, the first reason that we've been talking about living a fruitful life is very simple. It's because it's the nature of the kingdom. Uh, God's kingdom works like this. Uh, little tiny things grow and become much bigger things. A, a, a few things invariably multiply, reproduce, and become a lot of things. There's this thing in the kingdom of God where small things become large, a few things become many. It's the nature of the kingdom. So we're wanting to look at what does it mean to live a fruitful life, something that's inside the kingdom. The second reason we want to talk about what does it mean to live a fruitful life is very simple. It's because it's the, it's the innate, untrained desire in every single person's heart who's in the room right now. Every person who's alive on planet earth has an instinct on the inside that, and it is a desire to want to be fruitful. Um, how many of you have ever struggled with feeling uh, small and insignificant, right? Everybody, everybody at times feels small and insignificant. However, everyone alive on planet Earth is hoping that somehow their small, individual, insignificant life could be something larger, something powerful, and something significant. Everybody in the room and everybody on planet Earth is hoping that their singular life could touch many lives. Anybody in here... Never thought about that. Everybody wants that, right? Um, sort of a, an ongoing vineyard joke for several several years is this: you know, no one no one looks at their best friend or their or their spouse and says, you know, I'm really hoping that when I get older I could be mediocre. <laughs> See, God God didn't plant that in anyone's heart. He didn't plant that in anyone's heart. And we've had a lot of we've had a lot of teaching in the church which I actually think is in some ways false teaching about humility, which always leads to insignificance. That's never God's design or desire for anyone. You cannot, you cannot out-humility your desire to be significant. You cannot. It will not work. You cannot, you cannot squash that thing down. Why? Because God created every single person alive in the world to be a significant person. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to be rich. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to be famous. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to be Bono. But it does mean that everyone has been, has been placed with the seed of the kingdom 
so that your life could go from small to bigger, from a few to many, that you could, you could reproduce, that you could influence, that you could bring something good about. No one's hoping that they could be mediocre, average, and ultimately leave their family and the world in a worse condition. No one. And so that's why we want to look at what does it mean to have a fruitful life? Um, we read some scripture out of John chapter 15. It was sort of the opening a couple of weeks ago. And we noticed in the, in the very first verse, we could put that up. In the very first verse, Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may be more fruitful. And one of the things we see right away is that the beginning of a fruitful life is just simply knowing your role. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Knowing your role. That the father is the vine dresser, which means that he's the ultimate decider. You know, a lot of us are spending a lot of time trying to, trying to decide who's in the kingdom, who's out, who's got it, who doesn't. And we think that it's our work to come alongside and do the pruning. I'm here to tell you, you will, that will not lead to fruitfulness in your life. The father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the true vine, which is to say this. Jesus is the source of life. He's the source of all life. You can't have real life unless you're connected to Jesus. And then finally, you and I are simply the branches, which means that it's our job in life in order to live out these innate desires to be fruitful. It's our job to simply receive the life of God from Jesus. Jesus is drawing life out of the ground. It's a picture of resurrection. He's drawing life. He's the true vine. He is drawing life from out of the dirt, and he is sending it up to the branches. It's your job, and it's my job to simply receive the life of God. And that's what we want to talk a little bit about this morning. I want you to look at one verse in particular. I want you to look at verse 4. Because this is the key to living a fruitful life. In addition to knowing your role. This is how you begin to walk in your role. Jesus says this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus is saying that kingdom fruitfulness is a result of abiding in him. There, there is no fruitfulness apart from abiding in Jesus. People may do some great things. People may, uh, people may um, hit some of their life goals. But apart from being connected to Jesus, it's probably an illusion. He's saying you have to be connected to him. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out right here. Um, and Jesus is, is making this statement for us because he wants to preserve our life. The first thing I want you to understand about kingdom fruitfulness as it pertains to abiding in Jesus is this, that in the kingdom of God, the end does not justify the means. The ends do not justify the means. In God's kingdom, it isn't simply just a matter of doing some good thing or getting an idea and then working it until you're successful. If you want to be fruitful in, in like money and giving, but you start out embezzling, Right? How many of you would like to be a really generous person who, uh, who is at the end of your life known for giving and your generosity ends up like powering something in the earth that lasts for a hundred years? Wouldn't that be awesome? What if you did that by embezzling? Yeah, but we need to bring it up because in God's kingdom, the ends do not justify the means. How you do something is what gets done. Uh, my friend Eric Kirchin says, the way the kingdom comes is the kingdom that comes. If, if you establish, 
If you establish your generosity based upon stealing and embezzlement, it's really not generous. You've just sown into the earth thievery at a brand new level, right? Uh, and, and, you know, you think, well, that, that sounds sort of funny. But massive mistakes have been made in church history on this very singular issue. Uh, it hasn't been that long ago, and you wouldn't have to travel very many miles. Ray Hollenbach have been, Ray Hollenbach and I, we have been in Peru, in the biggest church in Lima, and underneath are 25,000 bodies. You know where they came from? They came from forced conversions. It was meet Jesus or die. Down in the catacombs, some of them were faithful believers and some of them were executed by Spanish conquerors. Now, how many of you understand that meeting Jesus and and having some sort of a conversion experience with Jesus is a good thing? How many of you also understand that forced conversion, meet Jesus or die, is not the way of the kingdom? Right. The end does not justify the means. And so you and I have a desire for more But how we begin to enter into that more is of profound importance. It's everything. It's everything. And then similarly, number two, the context for all fruit, the context for all remaining fruit in the kingdom is connection to Jesus. It's really simple. It's connection to Jesus. Jesus says in verse 1 that He's the true vine. Meaning that there are other vines out there. If he's the true vine, there's false vines. And when he uses the picture of the vine, the idea he's expressing is that he's the source of life. The branches get life from him. And there's all these other vines out there, all these other kinds of sources, but he's the only one that has life. Now, there's a lot of people in the room this morning, and we've got a lot of experiences. And it would be my somewhat educated guess because I've dealt with people, and I am a person, I would be willing to bet that there are people in the room who are connected to vines that are not Jesus this morning. Yeah, there's probably a few people in here who have, who have grafted their life into something else. Uh, maybe, maybe you've tried to get life from another person. I'm here to tell you, you're never going to get life from another person. They're, they're at best a branch. They can't be the source of life for you. Um, this doesn't mean that there won't be sometimes like meaningful exchanges between people. Of course there will be. But it means that that source of life, that essential element, the spark and the fire of life, you'll never be able to get it from Jesus, from another person in a meaningful way. It'll only come from Jesus. And even if you get it from another person, it's really coming from Him. He's the source of life. And by the way, you'll know, you'll know that you have grafted yourself into another person, another human relationship for the source of life rather than Jesus if you're really pissed at someone because they're disappointing you and keeping you from getting your life goal. That's how you know that you've, you've, begun, to, you've begun to lay hold of a person and try to extract the source of life out of them. Eventually, they will disappoint you. You'll become angry and you'll think, what's going on? Well, it's not their fault. It's just they don't, they don't have what you need. It only comes from Him. It only comes from Him. Or maybe you've got a career and you've tried to make your career the source of life. Or maybe it's a, it's a bottle filled with pills. Everybody's got that vine, you know, that they're trying to grab something out of. If I'm being honest, um, this morning there was, a, there was a time in my life where I was trying to get my life out of being a musician. 
I've played some music. I wrote a few songs. Some people even liked them. And I tried to get the source of life out of being a musician. Here's what happens if you try to get the source of life out of being a musician. You end up competitive and cynical. That's what happens. You end up competitive and single, c- cynical. And I, I was single. I, that's a further stage that I never got to. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Kind of goes in that order even. You get competitive, then you get cynical, and then you get single. She leaves you. Then you write the best album of your life. Oh, yes, that's the Ryan Adams model. That's just what happens. All the sad songs are the best ones, you know? Think of your best, think of your favorite song. It's probably a sad one. Yeah, I tried to get the, I tried to get the source of my life out of, you know, my identity of being a musician. It just, it made me competitive. Like all my, all my supposed friends who were musicians, what they didn't know is I was gunning for them. (laughs) Really, I was, Yeah. Stop, it just robs you of all the joy. It's awful. So the context for fruitfulness is always a connection to Jesus. And what this means is that my primary concern shifts from either abstract goals or specific goals. And my primary concern shifts from an idea and moves to simply being connected to Jesus. Now, this is really hard for goal-oriented people. And some of you goal-oriented people are getting nervous right now. And you should be, because I want you to be nervous. (laughs) Yeah, what am I saying? I'm saying that having goals means nothing if you're not first connected to Jesus. Like, what? this is what's... It can actually go like this. You can have good goals that on the outside look like the establishing of the kingdom. However, apart from a primary goal of being connected to Jesus and receiving life from Him, it's an illusion. How many of you understand that on paper, Pharisees and true disciples look a lot alike until you meet them, right? Uh, Jesus hammers some Pharisees in Matthew 23. He says, hey, you guys are incredible tithers. You even, you even tithe like the herbs in your garden. You tithe the dill and the mint, but you have let go of the weightier matters of justice and mercy. Like on, 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 the, on the surface, true disciples are generous and they tithe. And on the surface, you could look on a piece of paper, Pharisees probably tithing all the way down to the flippant herbs. And Jesus is saying, you've let go of the essential thing. Like having good goals of being generous, having an amazing goal. I'm going to win 10 people to Jesus this year. All of, any kind of goal. Like make it the most super Christian thing you can think of. Like go out and get yourself a t-shirt that's blue and it has a big s and a c on it like you're a super christian and make every super christian goal that you can think of apart from actually being connected to jesus and the true vine it will be an illusion i'm going to pray more this year great if it doesn't come from friendship with jesus forget it That's right. The pastor of the vineyard just said, forget it to prayer. (laughs) Tweet that. See, the good thing about goals, even spiritual goals, is that they cause us to look closely at our lives. 
and the fruit. That's the good thing. The bad thing is that there's no real fruit apart from abiding in Jesus. And the tricky part is that merely focusing on end results can be deceiving. Sometimes a true disciple looks exactly like a Pharisee on paper. Two people appear to be generous. One person is abiding and living out of the overflows of God's generous heart. And the other person is simply wanting to appear good. Or they're giving out of guilt for past sin, trying to buy the good grace of God. Or, even worse, they're calculating as a means of control. On the surface, those look exactly the same. How many of you have ever received a gift from someone only to find out that it was actually a means of control? It's like, get that away from me. Did you know that some people will try to control you with money? It's one of the most basic forms of human manipulation. Hey, I'll give you something. It's like, it, really, all that happened is you just got in bed with the mob, right? Favors. <laughs> Some of y'all have like uncles who are treating you like the godfather. Looks good on the outside. Really, it's just a means of control. This is why a connection to Jesus is essential. It's just essential. So at this point, we might want to look at what it means to abide in Jesus. Before we look at what it means to abide in Jesus, I want to play a little clip. And the reason I want to play a little clip is because I can't think of any context in which we ever hear the word abide other than John chapter 15 and this. Good luck tomorrow. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, Sorry to hear about Donnie. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you eat the bar and sometimes, uh, you know. Hey, man. How do you do, dude? I wonder if I'd see you again. I wouldn't miss the semis. How oh, things yeah. been going? Well, you know, strikes and gutters, ups and downs. Sure, I've got you. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. Well, take care, man. Gotta get back. Sure. Take it easy, dude. Oh, yeah. I know that you will. Yeah, well, the dude abides. <laughs> you but I take comfort in that and just in case you were wondering that has no spiritual connection to anything this morning it's just that I can't read John chapter 15 without thinking of the big Lebowski Anyway, I want you to look at John chapter 15, because I, I want us to see what abiding in Jesus really means, okay? And I want you to look at verse 9. Jesus defines it for us. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Um, abiding in Jesus is first and foremost an issue of being connected to his love. This is what it means to abide in Jesus. The fruitful life is being connected to Jesus. But being connected to Jesus, what it really means is, it means being connected to the love of God. Like really knowing it. Now here's what I've found in life. Um, probably everyone in here knows John 3.16. 
for God so loved the world, right? Uh, probably everyone in here believes that God loves the world. Um, not only that, but probably most people in the room can look at someone else and believe that God loves them. The trouble is, we don't be- really believe that God loves us. You know why we don't believe that God loves us? Because we know us. Somebody looked at my notes. Over here. Because we know us. We know all the garbage thoughts and terrible things that we've done. We know when we have appeared to be generous, but really all we were doing is trying to control someone. No one else knew that, but we knew it. We knew that when we were, when we were doing good things with an ulterior motive. No one else knew it. We even got some praise for it, but we know it. And we have a hard time believing that, that God really, really loves me. In fact, we're, we're professionals at disqualifying ourselves from the love of God. But this is the essence of abiding. And this is the essence of abiding. Uh, truly spiritual people are people who are becoming more aware that God loves them. What, what is a spiritual person? It's a person who's becoming more aware that God loves them. Like me. I've met Christians who have known, who have known Jesus, whatever that means, for 35 years with no functional awareness that God loves them. There may be some people in the room this morning who are like that. See, fruitfulness comes from abiding in a place of love and really knowing. The only fruit that's going to remain is the one that comes from the solid connection of God's love. If you don't have a solid connection with God's love, something strange begins to happen and genetically modified hybrids start appearing in your life. <laughs> this is what happens. If, you, if you're not really connected to the love of Jesus, like you know it, you wake up in the morning, no matter what you did the day before, knowing that God is for you and not against you, and he's, he's got affection for you. If you don't really know that, then genetically modified hybrids will begin to show up in your life. And some people will eat genetically modified hybrids because they've never had the organic thing. And some people will look at a genetically modified hybrid thinking that it's the fruit of God, not realizing that the real thing, the thing that grows out of the soil of love, they've never even seen or tasted. They're completely fooled and so are you. And you go on living this delusion. You go on living in a dream when the reality has never actually hit you. Does this make sense? And the hybrids, this is what the hybrids look like. The hybrids are the fruit of trying harder. The hybrids are the fruit that grows from anxiety and trying to earn God's love or appease His anger. Um, If we miss that He loves us, we will have to farm in our own strength, which is exactly what we looked at a couple weeks ago in Psalm 127. And that's the warning that that the psalmist gives us. If you farm in your own strength, what are you going to eat? The bread of anxious toil. If you don't really know that, you, that God loves you, then you're going to begin to farm in a new kind of way. And you're going to grow hybrids. And it's the hybrids of trying harder and anxiety, guaranteed. Anybody in here ever farmed some weird hybrids? I have. They're terrible. They're terrible. And they wear you out. See, knowing that you're loved by God is the hallmark of receiving the life of God. 
His love is His life. Not only that, but fruit is the overflow of a life with God. No one connected, can, connected to God can help but be fruitful. However, lots of people have missed God altogether simply trying to make something good. You can try to make something good, never find God. However, if you connect to the life and the love of God, there will always be something good that come, shows up. Now we might ask ourselves, how do we feel the love of God? How do we get connected to the love of God? How do we get connected to the love of God? You ever thought about that? How do you get connected to the love of God? I texted a bunch of people and talked to a bunch of people this week, and I kept asking them, how do you get connected to the love of God? You know what almost every single person told me? Almost every single person told me the same thing. Oh, just when I, honestly, if I just review my life and think about all the good things that God has done for me. It's unbelievable. Gratefulness. Developing gratefulness connects me to the love of God. What's really funny about this to, for me is that being able to know, feel, and comprehend the love of God in the present is really based upon my ability to look upon my past and see the Lord. Some of us in the room are like, I, I, I don't feel the love of God. Well, begin to farm gratefulness in your life. Looking back and seeing with the eyes of faith that God has been with you. How many of you, how many of you know that God has been incredibly good to you? Incredibly good to you. I was talking to Crispin, who led worship this, this morning. I was talking to him yesterday. And a couple of years ago, Crispin had a heart attack and ended up with over a $100,000 hospital bill with no insurance. And God got him out of all of it. That's unbelievable. Like, Crispin was telling me the story, and I began to feel the affection of the Father. Isn't that crazy? It's amazing. It's amazing. That's one of the, one of the ways we get connected to the love of the Father. I also want to read you a text that I got from a friend this week about how they feel loved by God. This is pretty good, by the way. I feel the love of God, and it's usually a surprise. Sometimes it's an answer to a prayer I forgot I prayed, or by a special opportunity that I know that I couldn't have possibly engineered. But most of the time, it's not about praying at all. It's just paying attention. The truth is, I'm always being loved. Even in my darkest hours, there's a warm heart that I can feel beating for me across space and time if I will stop and listen for it. It catches me by surprise, usually in moments of small transition throughout my day, when I'm caught between two activities. Sometimes I find a, a window to be aware. Almost once a day, my mind drifts from my work and I find myself in his company. And out of nowhere, a lightness comes upon me. And for that split second, I realize that the weight is not on me, but it's on him. I call this feeling the Friday afternoon feeling. It's how I used to feel when the final school bell would ring each week. It feels like freedom. So I guess the key is awareness. I'm always free. It's just that the bell no longer rings. Sometimes I don't take the time to be aware. But a grateful heart always leads me back to him. That's above average. Yeah. 
being connected to the love of Jesus is the essence of beginning to lead a fruitful life. I want to look at one more verse, and it's a really surprising verse. So there's something about gratefulness that brings us into the love of the Father and the love of Jesus. But then Jesus says something in verse 10 that makes us uncomfortable, and it's a surprise backdoor entry into the love of God. Look at verse 10. He says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, we hate that verse. Okay? Uh, In the American church, obey is another four-letter word. But it's the one we never say, right? (laughs) We say all the other four-letter words, but we'll never say that one. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. But it throws us off track. But what Jesus is saying, the first thing we have to understand when Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. The first thing that we have to get our brains around to even begin to deal with this verse appropriately is this, that when Jesus said this, he spoke it in love. Jesus wasn't Jesus wasn't angry. He wasn't he wasn't beating the table when he if you, if you if you keep our commandments, you know, and that is, that's not who Jesus is. It, it, even that word came from the tender and merciful heart of the Lord. If you keep my commandments, then you'll abide in my love. And and not only that, but to obey, this is really strange. To obey actually keeps us connected to the love of God. Some of you are going to hear that wrong and think, okay, now I'm back to working for the love of God again. It actually doesn't work like that. This is how it works. Do you guys remember the story of the prodigal son? I think most of us in the room are probably familiar with the prodigal son story, right? Uh, I'll give you a review. Here's how it goes. Luke chapter 15. It's probably the most important parable that Jesus ever tells. A lot of Bible scholars think that this is the essence of of jesus's teaching like this is the jesus jesus teaching and here's what he here's what he says he says well it's kind of like this this kingdom of heaven he says this guy had two sons and the younger son comes to him and says hey dad give me my share of the inheritance which is essentially the younger saying dad i wish you were dead give me everything that's coming to me and the dad does it gives him half of the estate and that kid goes out and he spends it in what the bible calls wild living translation he spent it with a lot of beer, a lot of Budweiser. He's probably playing, playing the slots. Actually, he probably wasn't playing slots. He was cooler than that. He was playing, it's like it was more like Ocean's Eleven. So he was playing blackjack with Brad Pitt, lots of Budweiser, and and uh, prostitutes. And he eventually ran through the entire estate. And when he runs through the entire estate, he has no more money left, and he got to get some kind of job. And he gets a job working for a farmer where he's hanging out with the pigs. Now, this is not great for a Jewish boy who has been raised to not hang out with pigs. And he comes to his senses. That's what the Bible says. He says, you know what? I could at least go home and my dad would take me in as a slave. I mean, there's always some food and a better place to stay there, right? And he goes home. However, before he gets home, like, long way off, father sees him. Grabs hold of him. I mean, it's amazing just... Father grabs hold of him right there. And welcomes him back in the house, gives him the best coat, best ring. 
kills a fatted calf. Now, here's the thing. This story is working on multiple levels. Just the level that I'm explaining to you, it, it affects me because everybody in the room has been the younger son and we'll get to the older son here in a minute. We've all been him too. You know, we've hopefully experienced that. But Jesus is telling a story that is working on multiple levels and it's really about how life works when it comes to experiencing the love of the Father. So Jesus says, if you obey my commandments, you'll abide in my love. And he's connected this idea that that to do what God says, to live in his ways, actually opens us up to living in his love. And we think, well, how does that work? What well, works like this? When did the young son get into trouble? When he left his father's house, right? If you leave the house of absolute goodness, what are you going to find, right? If you leave absolute goodness, what else is there? So he leaves goodness and he gets in trouble. And how many of you understand that the father loved him the whole time he was gone? Right? The father loved him the whole time. Why? Because the father was watching for him every day. Like he was hoping that maybe my crazy son, my crazy prostitute, Budweiser, Brad Pitt's son will come home. I'm looking for him. Like, I don't care. There's something in the heart of God that is tremendous. And so God loved that son, the rebellious insane, I wish you were dead, daddy, son. He loved him the whole time. God didn't have a heart of judgment towards him. You really need to hear this. That is not who God is. He's for us and not against us. It's not how judgment works. Loves him the whole time. When, now, this, the secondary part here is this. When the young son was gone... Was he able to feel his father's embrace? He was loved, but he couldn't experience it, right? This is really powerful. We need to grab this because it gives us insight into if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. You can be loved by God, but not experience it because of disobedience. You leave the house. You're profoundly loved by God. He's watching for you every minute of the day, hoping that you will come back home. But there is only one place where you can experience the Father's embrace. And that's at the Father's house. Now, in case you believe that this story is about a geographical concept, it is not geographical. The the Father's house in Luke 15 is not a geography. it It is a place in the heart. And the Father's house really means the Father's ways. How do we know that? We know that because Jesus didn't stop the story where most people would have stopped the story. He kept telling it. Well, young son comes home, embrace. And there's an older son who never left the house, the geography, but he was just as lost as the younger son. Right? Why? He was living in the geography, but his heart was far from him and he was not living in his father's ways because he was not excited about his younger brother getting home. In fact, he was angry about it and he was hoping that his dad would bend him over his knee and give him a good spanking. What's the point? The point is this. If you want to experience the love of the Father, if you want to experience the love of Jesus, number one, begin to practice gratefulness. Look for the hand of God in your life. And then number two, we need to be disciples who are giving ourselves to Jesus' ways because His ways actually provide a context for us to feel the embrace of the Father.
it, it's not like, it's not this thing where Jesus is beating people up and, you know, giving you things that you can't do. He's actually inviting you into the very kind of life that puts you in the Father's house and in the Father's embrace where you can experience His love. Does this make sense? And so in all that stuff in the, in, in the Gospels that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, all that stuff that we think is negotiable is actually not negotiable if you want to feel His love. So when Jesus says, hey, you should be the salt of the earth. I've been talking to a couple young guys at the church about this. You should be the salt of the earth. What Jesus is really saying is, I would like you to live in such a way that you bring out the best in other people. And by the way, that isn't, that isn't a suggestion. It's a command for disciples of Jesus. I want you to live in such a way that you bring out the best in other people. How many of you understand that when you begin to bring out the best in other people, you're positioning yourself to feel the embrace of God in a new kind of way? How many of you understand that if you don't bring out the best in other people, that if you're just a jerk and you run out and you do your own thing, you give everybody the finger, that God loves you the exact same when you're running out giving everyone the finger as he does when you are the salt bringing out the best in others, but you can't feel it until you get salty. That's the trouble. That's the trouble. And so when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, you know what, you've heard it said, don't be... Don't be a murderer, but I'm telling you, don't be angry. And we think that anger is like something that we can manage and hang on to. No, it's not. Anger actually keeps you from feeling the love of God. And when Jesus says, you need to love your enemies. Hey, anybody can love their friends. Why don't you love your enemies? That is the Father's ways. It's the culture of His house. It's the culture of His house. It's who He is. It's how you know you're a son and a daughter because you've become like your father. You know, my kids, they sit on the couch and they all like Kentucky basketball. You know why they like Kentucky basketball? Because I like Kentucky basketball. That's why. They become like their father. It's the culture of his house. So it, it develops a lifestyle of awareness that allows us to abide, or maybe your Bible has a different translation, or to remain in the love of God. This is such a key because some of us in the room have crossed paths with the love of God and his heart, but we've never been able to remain in it. See, remaining is probably mostly an issue of obedience, feeling the embrace of God. And by the way, man, feeling the embrace of God and living the Jesus lifestyle of not being angry, I'm going to give up anxiety, and I'm going to try to love my enemies... Uh, I'm telling you, that's not going to be an easy thing. It'll probably be pretty difficult, but there's grace from God for it. And it puts a smack dab in the middle of the Father's house, right in His ways, right in His arms every single time. You start to love your enemies, man, you just became like God because God loves His enemies. He loved you even before you had a good thought in your brain. Got His arms around you. It's the atmosphere of the Father's house. And so the fruitful life of God is connected to experiencing the love of God and the ways of God. The love of God, I've come to believe this, that the love of God and the ways of God are indistinguishable categories. Like, one of the things we love to do is we like to categorize everything, make labels, get one of those little dynamo labelers and, you know, this is where my utensils go we love to do that, but you cannot, you cannot make categories for the love of God. They, they, the love of God is simply how He does everything. 
and it informs everything that is on the Father's heart. It's, it's, it's woven into the ways of God. And so, rather than trying to distinguish between what God does and who He is, we should just think of Him as this vine that has all this life and He's giving it away and He's into anybody who would receive it. There's just all this life. There's this vine and it's got these branches and the branches can receive the life. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but if you go out and look at a, a grapevine, you can come over to my house sometime. We'll look at the vineyard. You cannot distinguish where the vine ends and the branch begins. It, there's something indistinguishable. like, And even in the ways of God, like you cannot divide out his ways and his love as though his loves were not his ways and as though his ways were not informed by his love to begin with i mean it's we can't do it it's it's this picture there's this root that comes out of the ground and it comes out like a vine and then all of a sudden there's these branches on it and it's just this indistinguishable flow and so there's probably a few questions that we should ask this morning a bit of action so if you have some notes or a pen or a pencil, you should write this down and begin to maybe deal with God a little bit this week. He's so kind to people. He'll be kind to you as well. First question that I'd like you to ask yourself is this. Are you connected to the Jesus vine? There's all kinds of vines out there. Heck, maybe you just realized this morning that you've connected and tied yourself into some vine that isn't the Lord Jesus. I would highly recommend that you prune yourself from that other vine and get connected to the love of God. In a few minutes, we'll have a ministry team up here. And and honestly, you may need to even just respond to that one this morning. You may need to just walk right up and go, you know what? I've I've never given my life to Jesus. I've just been living from every source and I've never received the source of life that comes from God. When I'm done praying, you need, to, you need to come right up. Actually, you probably need to run right up. Slot into third base up here. Second question that I want you to ask yourself and to begin to deal with is this. If you are connected to the Jesus vine, are you abiding in His love and can you feel it? Can you feel it? By the way, the love of God is sometimes a manifest physical feeling. It's not always a manifest physical feeling, but it is sometimes a manifest physical feeling. Can you feel the love of God? Mostly, here's what it feels like to feel the love of God. I just don't feel condemned. (laughs) That's most of it. If what you mostly feel is guilt, shame, performance, try harder, anxiety, eating the bread of anxious toil, if that's you, that's not the love of the Father. You have got to get reconnected and abide in a new way. And then number three, do I see walking in God's ways as a path to abiding or does it just make me mad? (laughs) It's okay if it makes you mad. If it makes you mad, just be like, Lord, I hate your ways. He won't get mad at you for saying that you hate his ways. I told the Lord that for years. I was like, you know, God, there's a few, I love you, but man, there's some stuff about you that I hate. And you know what he did? He was like, oh, you just don't get me. 
took me like three years um, to get over. Let me tell you this. It has taken me the better part of 15 years to get over anger. I'm not quite there yet. I'm really close. I'm way closer than I was to begin with. But for years, I actually would tell the Lord, I hate your ways, especially about anger. Like, come on, Jesus. Give me a back door on this anger thing. Like, those guys are jerks. And for years, the Lord would just whisper to me, man's anger does not accomplish the works of God. And then that would make me angry. Like, that's how you know you have an anger, an anger issue. When you begin to deal with the Lord, you tell him, I hate your stance on anger. <laughs> like, I totally hate your stance on anger. And then the Lord reminds you of some dumb scripture in the New Testament. And then you get angry at him for that dumb scripture. I spent two years angry at the scripture. Spent better part of 15 years angry. Then finally, I'm like, okay. All right. Uncle. I give up. I give up. The good life is not an angry life. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know what? If you're angry, you know what ends up happening? The last person you want to be around is a hugging father. <laughs> this is what I found. This is why this is why like God's ways are so important and it'll and in our our ability to walk in his ways actually affects our ability to feel his love because I was angry for so long and it wasn't until the Lord broke through on some of my anger that I actually realized that I was the one pushing a good bit of the embrace of the father out of my life because he's not angry and I am and I'm I didn't want to hang out with somebody who wasn't angry does that make sense have you ever noticed that everybody in a biker gang is angry like there's never the sweet guy in a biker gang right why because when you're when you're pissed you want to hang out with people who are like you right and what we don't realize is, is when we, when we embrace ways that are not from the Father, we're actually pushing away His kindness and His affection. He loves us. We're just pushing away our ability to experience it. So that was connected to a third question. I went back to preaching again, so forgive me. Awesome. Hey, why don't you all stand up? This is our ministry team. Come on down. This is the price is right. Here's what we want to do this morning. We've got some people who are wonderful at praying for other people. Lieutenant Baker is one of the best best prayer people in the world. (laughs) He can take care of you. Here's what we want to... This is... I feel like there's probably a lot of people in the room who need to respond. Honestly, if you are not experiencing the embrace of the father like you know it if if what you feel in your heart and in your mind and maybe even your body is mostly guilt shame condemnation anxiety work for it sweat it out go crazy then you need to come up we need to want to pray for you 
Also, if you have never connected your life to the true vine of Jesus, like if you just realize, wow, I've maybe kind of grown up in church, but I've never said yes to Jesus, you need to come forward. In fact, you need to run and slide into third base here, okay? Jesus already said you're safe. Just, you just got to come in, just, just, just one of those right there. You can even Pete Rhodes slide if you want. Awesome. Hey, why don't you put your hand on your heart? Let's pray just for a second. Father, I ask that you would baptize the whole room in your love all over again. God, to the extent that we have been a younger son who runs away and leaves the domain of your love. God, I ask that you would, that you would woo us home. God, if there be any area in our life where we have, um, where we have run out of the functional experience of your love, would you bring us back in? Would you bring us back in? Father, I ask that, that the vineyard here, would, that we would be a church that knows that we know that God loves the world and that He loves other people and that He loves me. Father, I also ask that for uh, the vineyard here, God, if there's any among us who are offended by the idea that walking in your ways leads to a greater experience of your love, God, I, we just give you our offenses right now. God, to the degree that we're offended by the fact that loving our neighbor and loving our enemy actually allows us to feel your love more. God, we just give that up. We want to love our enemies and we want to not be angry and we want to give up not just adultery but lust as well. And we want to walk in your ways. We want to walk in the culture of the Father's house. Father, we ask that the culture of the Father's house, that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 would be like, would be just natural here. Man, he's here. Let's just sit in this for a second. He's just here. We welcome you, Lord. You're wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as the pastor of the church, I just say you're loved by God. Every single person is profoundly loved by God. In the name of Jesus, the true vine. Amen. Amen. Hey, give somebody a high five and a hug. If you need to respond for ministry, you need to come on up. Let's do that right now. Otherwise, go get your babies.